Good to be here again. Greetings to you all from Shenandoah. I do enjoy coming down here. It's only about once a year anymore, but um, time flies. It doesn't feel like it's been really that long ago since I was here. And as I heard, the offering was for the Shenandoah Fund. I want to thank you all for that. Blessings as you share in that work. It is much appreciated. Title of the message is, are you, is, are you okay with no? So some time ago, I had a friend come to me and say that he and his family have been asked if they would go on mission work to Africa. One of the small countries in Africa asked if they would go consider, consider being a part of the mission there. Now this certain friend is part of a ministry team, so he said he hasn't heard back yet. Um, it was going to need to go through the ministry team, see what they were going to say on it. Um, and give their input. But he said, this is kind of where we're at. Some days later, I talked to him again, or rather he let me know what, what, what became of that. And he mentioned the ministry team said that he should stay, where he, they think he should stay where he is, stay in the local congregation and serve there. So I called him and I asked, just wanted some more details and just, just to hear his, his story on it. And what he shared was, was very interesting. He said that going on, on long-term missions wasn't really something they were thinking about, but when the, when the tap on the shoulder came, he said after a few days they were kind of getting used to the idea, and it was, it was rather exciting about that possibility. Obviously he understood being part of a ministry team. It was going to have, he was going to be getting the blessing from the ministry, and as I mentioned, they thought it would, best, would be best if he just, just stayed with them. I asked for a little more detail on what, how that went for him when he, was, when he was told no. And he said it was kind of difficult. I talked to him, I want to say maybe a week and a half, I believe it was about a week and a half after he would have met with the ministry. And he said that first week was really difficult. They were... He and his family, they were kind of looking forward to it already about the possibility of spending time with the mission. He made an interesting comment through course of conversation. He told me, he said, you know, we don't like when other people tell us what to do. We like to do what we want to do. And he also said, but we say we want to do God's will, so why do I struggle when I'm told no? You might say, well, this came through people. But we understand that God speaks through people. Can I accept a no? So the question I have the title is, are you okay with no? When you are given the answer no, can you be okay with that? If your agenda is something else. This morning we're going to be looking at two men's responses when they were told not to do a certain thing. Now, not to do a certain thing, I'm not regarding into something that is wrong. Obviously, God is going to say no to that, but rather something that is good, something that could be worthwhile. Good, necessary, God-honoring things that we feel is what I should be doing, and then we hit a wall, so to speak, when we're told no. These men are very familiar. 
we're going to look at lives of, or not the whole life of, just small instances of Saul and David. So you may open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7, this is David and his grand idea. And let's look at that. I'm going to read the first eight verses in Samuel, 2 Samuel 7. It says, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto, the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me, build me an house to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked, all the children of Israel spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build, whom, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And um, the Lord goes on talking to Nathan, that Nathan was supposed to relay to David. It speaks of the covenant God gave to David, how his kingdom was going to reign forever. And it does. If we look at lineage, it continues all the way down into Jesus. But David had a spectacular idea. The Ark of the Covenant was, was, living, in a, was living in a tent, in a, in a house of curtains, and David had a, an immaculate palace. So his idea was he's going to build a temple, and no doubt it would have been spectacular. He said, I live in a palace, God is in a tent, how can, this, how can we reconcile this? Nathan initially tells David, go ahead with it, and then Nathan hears from God and tells David not to build a temple. In the account from Samuel, it doesn't tell us why David was not to build the temple, but if we would turn back to... or front rather to the first chronicles 22 the same account is in there but in there there's some some detail it is david talking with solomon while they were building when they were building the temple later when solomon was building it david said that i was told not to build the temple because this is god telling david not to build the temple because he has shed much blood and has made great wars so there is um, clear uh, clarity on why David should not build, a te build the temple. But what I want to note is David's response. David had to, had to respond. He had this, this great idea. He was going to build the temple. And looks like very shortly after, probably the next day, he was told, actually, no, don't build the temple. And what we're looking at is responses to when these men, and then to you and I, when we are told no. How are we going to respond to that? Let's jump down a few verses in, we're staying in 2 Samuel 7, 
Go down to verse 18. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And was this yet a small thing in my sight, O Lord? But thou hast spoken also of my servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the, ma- and this is the manner of man, O Lord God. And what can David say more unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest, my- knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all these great things to make thy servant know, know them. Note verse 22, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, and there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Let's go down to verse 26, And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. He's just been told, scrap your plans, that's not what I want you to do. And he is humble before God. Acknowledges God for being a great God, recognizing there is none like him. And then in verse 26, he magnifies his name, says, let thy name be magnified. David could have insisted that this is the right thing to do. I'm going to build a temple for God because he is greater than me. I live in this immaculate palace and God does not. We have to build a temple. He could have cited notable reasons, many probably, why we should be building a temple. But what's most important is David obeyed God. Very simple, but very important, David obeyed God. Great idea, honoring God, that's what the the temple was going to be for. But he said no, God told him no, and he moved on. Let's turn back to 1 Samuel 13. We are going to be in the life of Saul. I don't know what you think of when you think of Saul, but he definitely had his struggles, his problems. In this account, what we're going to pick up, there is the Israelites are gathered together and they're about to battle the Philistines. I'm going to Pick up at verse 5 and read through probably 12. So 1 Samuel 13, picking up at verse 5, it says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people following followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord 
I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I'll read verse 13 as well. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. So, Israelites up against the Philistines, greatly outnumbered. I think, um, I think somewhere it says Saul had about 600 at this point after people were starting to leave him. And there was thousands of Philistines coming up against him. So this offering needed to happen. Samuel had, some time ago, had told him to go to, to Gilead to wait there seven days. And then he was going to come and meet him. They were going to offer the sacrifice. Samuel was a prophet. He was um, the one that was going to be offering the sacrifice. Saul sees the Philistines, gets scared, and thinks he can't wait on Samuel to offer the sacrifice and, and uh, offers it himself. Saul wasn't a Levite, which was some of the problem with him offering a sacrifice, because that was the priest and the Levite's job. But notice the violation that Samuel points out. He does not say, Saul, you are not of the tribe of Benjamin. You should not have offered the sacrifice. Rather, he says in verse 13, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. He, re he was, was commanded to wait on Samuel, and he didn't. Numerous, fa numerous faults could be pointed out, but I believe, this, I believe his biggest fault, Saul's fault, is his disobedience. Disobedience when he was told not to. The, the sacrifice was, was necessary. It was supposed to happen. It was God-honoring. Um, but not to be done by Saul and not at that time. It was going to be it was Samuel's, was, was Samuel's job. So I want to bring that back to ourselves. So back to the question, uh, the, the title of that I mentioned, are you okay with no? What is my response when God says no to my doing a good thing? Just a few things that these, this good thing, I, I, meant, I, I mentioned good things, you could do God-honoring, worthwhile, whatever you, want, whatever you want to call it. These things could be many different things, one of them being missions, the illustration that I started with. Um, business without reach in mind, Relationship, relationships between um, two people, even children, having children. These things are part of God's plan. Missions, that is part of reaching out. Christ has said that we are to go and spread the gospel. Using business to reach others strategically, however it might be. That in its, itself seems great. Relationships, marriage is instituted by God. And children, that is also instituted by God. But what if we come up against these things and God says no? What if mission seems to be possibly our, where we're supposed to be going, but doors close? What if children are not to be in our lives? What if, it's not, what if we're not able to have children? How do we respond to that? Am I willing to make God's agenda my agenda? 
Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that is, if, if we allow the Lord to direct our steps, we can, we can come up with a great plan. We can have it all laid out, but we need to allow the Lord to direct our steps. The initial response to a closed door is often, why? Why did you take me this far and then, and then stop? I thought this was the direction I was supposed to go. But apparently, it's not. What's our response? As was in David and in Saul, we saw obedience versus disobedience. Obedience is paramount. It is the most important when God tells us what to do, regardless of what I think, we need to be obedient. Jesus stated numerous times in his ministry when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he did go on, neighbor, neighbor as yourself. But as he said later, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we love God and are looking to serve him, we will keep his commandments. let's think back to Saul and David. Is it fair to compare the two accounts? Saul's situation was looking pretty threatening. He had enemies coming up against him, and David's not so much. It was actually a time of peace when he was looking to build the temple, which wasn't very often in David's life. So can we, can we really compare the two? But it's, it's the response that is important. That's what I want to point out how they responded when they got direct um, word from the Lord. On their own, both things were good. Building a temple was, was going to be a good thing, offering sacrifice that was necessary and that was needed. But there's never a time when disobedience is all right. I don't believe there's any, ever a time when sin is overlooked, when going against God's command is okay. So what was the root problem to thinking of Saul? What was the root problem to him not obeying? I don't think that he really wanted to disobey by, by sacrificing. I don't think that was his motive. You know what? I could do this myself. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm, I'm going to anyway. I don't believe that was his motive. In fact, he said, he said um, in the verses that I read, he felt forced to. I believe the real problem was a lack of trust or an improper fear of God. Saul did not believe that God, working through Samuel, did not believe that God would come through on time. So I mentioned how obedience is extremely important, how we, obedience is, is the most important. We need to obey. But where is my level of trust when it comes to God's plan and his timing? Can I trust God's plan can I trust his timing in his plans? Am I willing to put my agenda on hold with the possibility of it never happening? As I mentioned earlier, we like to do what we want to do. We like to do it when we think it would be best, and we usually think we know that. At least I do. The timing seems right, yet 
when it doesn't happen, when I feel like I run up against barriers, am I willing to put mine on hold, trusting God, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in, in his timing, or if it's not supposed to happen, am I okay with that? Sometimes our good, our good ideas are not God's plan for us. In, I don't think it mentions it in Samuel, it's in the Chronicles for sure, it talks about how David took a lesser role in the temple building. Yes, he was, not, he was told not to build the temple, but he gathered supplies, he, set it, he pretty much set it all up, and then his son Solomon, which, which reigned during a time of peace, is that that's, he built the temple. And notice how that temple is called Solomon's temple. It's not called David's temple. But David would have had a, a role to play. Maybe our, maybe our role will be less obvious to others. Another thing my friend mentioned was, am I disappointed because of pride? I know he said that carefully, but did I see this as sort of a, an obvious moment of um, people are going to notice? Is he going to see missions differently now? I don't know. He might. But if our role in a specific task, whatever it might be, is less than what we were initially planning, maybe we were planning to be the the starting of something, but we're to take a more back seat, more of an assistant role. Will I be okay with that? Maybe our plan will, will take place. Maybe the good idea is going to come to pass. In David's case, the temple, it was built. But we barely know that David had a part of it. We know it as Solomon's temple. So we understand that we are to obey, and we understand that we need to trust. I believe if I would ask you that, you would say, yes, that is, that is necessary. So when disappointments come and our grand ideas get changed, let's consider who we claim we trust. Because when things aren't looking the way we would like them to, it's easy to lose trust and to say, really? Is that how it's supposed to look? This does not seem to be seem to be going the way I thought it should. So let's consider who we claim to put our trust in and if our, if our claim is even valid. Is it, worth, is it worth our while to claim this one as trustworthy? And this one would obviously be God. I'm not going to turn to all the scriptures, but very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. The first words of the Bible are of one speaking the world into existence. Not spending many hours assembling something, but simply speaking it. Creating the world and what we know in six literal days. That's God. Job 38. There is many questions in chapter 38 and 39 of Job. This is when Job was going through all his trials. And he was, in my own words, kind of complaining to God saying, why is this all happening? Are you, do you really care? What, how is this your plan? And God comes at Job with more or less, yes, I am God. Can you do these things? He mentions um, controlling the weather. Um, he mentions um, 
animals, directing them. We could go the, the whole chapter, actually two chapters rather, with things of, of Job, can you do this? Things that are out of, of human capability of doing. God said, it is I that is doing these things. Can you trust me for what is going on? We see a God of unlimited power, one that, can, that goes above, much above and beyond what we are able to do. So this is the one we claim to trust, one with unlimited power. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. A God that is everywhere all the time. That in itself is incomprehensible in my mind. We are quite limited on where we can be at one time. It can be one place at one time. God can be everywhere at one time, within us, around the world. That is the one we call on with our prayers. That is the one we ask for direction. That is the one we're, we're looking to honor and to serve. Can we trust that? Can we trust him? Infinite wisdom. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just God proclaiming himself. Trust in me, my ways are above yours, and my thoughts are above your thoughts. These three, three things that we looked at of God being all-powerful, all-knowing, um, having infinite wisdom, speak of an, um, an almighty and a majestic creator, one that for that alone we could stand in all that, admiring our, our, our admiration, our devotion, that alone would be plenty. But he didn't stop there. His ultimate love... John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to the world to die that all who believe would be saved. He cared so much that he sent his son to die so that everybody would have the opportunity, opportunity to be saved. Sometimes the question is, does God care about me individually? Yes, we see God as a controller of the world. We can recognize that, say, yes, God has everything in control. There are billions of people on the world. Is it even possible that he would care for me individually? And obviously that is a profound yes through what he's done for us through his death on the cross. Because that death on the cross is not collective. He did not die. He, okay, yes, you could say he died for a group. He did. He died for the entire world. But individually, we have to accept him. It is not something that runs in the family. Godly heritage is great, it's good, it's something I want to pass along, something I've been given and want to pass along, but that is not what saves us. Just because I've accepted Christ doesn't mean my children have. Can I direct them in that way? I desire to. But individually, Christ has died for us. I believe this speaks, just in itself, speaks of personal detail. There's many details we could talk about how God cares for each one of us. He, ca he says that he knows the hairs of our head. That is very individual. That is, not, that is not collective. 
To be trustworthy, one is required to be reliable, responsible, and consistent. Through several prophets, hundreds, even thousands of years, Jesus' birth was prophesied. We can look way back in the... Actually, we can go back to Genesis where it is, is proclaimed that um, the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. That in itself is speaking of, of a savior, of a redeemer. But even in much more detail, Isaiah talks in detail. The minor, many of the minor prophets talk of the detail of Jesus' coming. They talk about it in different, usually each one has some of their own detail. They talk about um, where he's going to be born and and, and so that was was prophesied hundreds, even thousands of years prior and when it came to pass, it was down to the letter. It could be traced back and could could have been found very easily. There are also many promises throughout the Bible that we can see that he kept. We see promises to, to Abraham. We see promises to David. Um, many things that, that the Lord has promised. And we, we have the opportunity to look back and say, yes, God did um, fulfill his promises many times, over and over. And including his, his um, covenant to David, which we had looked at earlier. David esta- or God establishing his covenant with David. He kept that down through the lineage of Jesus. There are many promises for us today that obviously we're still here, so we don't see the end. Um, but there's many promises that he has, he has given to us. He promises mercy to those that will fear him. He promises comfort in times of trouble. And you could go on and on with the promises that God has, has um, promised to us. Things that we can hold him to. So we claim we put our trust in God. Yet, speaking for myself, when things don't go as I would like them to, I wonder if he really cares, if he really has things under control sometimes. But if we just take even a moment to, to stop, to look, think back and say, well, what has he done? What is on his resume, if you will? And is nothing but reliable, responsible, and consistent. He's never once failed. He never will fail. We have the privilege of seeing the past and the present, but we are shielded from the future. God can see the future. He sees the end, the end plan. As parents, obviously we can't see the end of our children's lives, but there are things we can see that we might in the moment, shield them from, and they're not, they don't realize it. We know what could become. God knows even further than that. He knows what will come, but there needs to be a, a level of trust, even in that aspect. Children to parents, being able to trust what the parent can see through gaining knowledge and wisdom of, of years past. So we trust those that go before us, Usually, we can. we can. We can go to ones older than us and say, this is what I'm up against. What do you see in this? You've been through a lot more than I have. And we can, we can base some trust on that. But if we have one that we can go to that has always been, always will be, 
established the past, knows the future, can we trust him? We are not here by mere chance or coincidence. It is a divine plan that God has put you in this place at this time for this moment. And the moment that we're here is very short. Sometimes that's hard to comprehend. Even for me, life seems long. There's, there is hopefully many years ahead of me. Yet, when you look back in history, you see great, mighty men, women, doesn't, individuals, and you see the amount of good they did, yet you look at their amount of years they lived, 70 years maybe, and it's like, wow, in, in, in history, that's, that's really short. We are here not by coincidence, not by chance, but for a purpose. God's plan for your life is perfect, and we need to be willing to trust his directive even when we feel that we have a better idea. God's plan is always the best. So I'll leave you with that. Like I said, you're not here by chance. You're here for a purpose. Let's follow God. When he tells us no, even though it might be difficult at times, let's trust him. When he leads us in a way that we don't want to go, again, let's trust him. I don't want to come across as when I mentioned missions and one being denied, as it appears for the moment anyway. Let's not use that as a crutch, but let's be seeking to follow God's will. That's what I want to bring from this, seeking to follow God's will. It's not always what we would what we would think is the best, but it is always the best if we are choosing to follow Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that in your word you've given us many examples that we can look back on and how you have been faithful in all your promises. We see uh, men's successes and men's failures as they chose to follow you or not. And Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to see what we have here in the Bible, not following their mistakes, but rather successes and seeing you as a faithful God, one that leads us to life everlasting. Help us to be willing to trust you because really who else do we have? You are the creator and the ruler of all. Lord, just pray you bless each one here. And as we go from here, I pray that your name would be honored and glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.